concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You know what you're thinking. Mine's bigger than yours, right? It's not fair. Throw it away. All right? Tons of popcorn there. Yeah. And all you gotta do is go climb a tree to go eat it. <laughs> it was a night like any other night. Then something happened. Oh, good lord. It's. It's unbelievable. It's. It's horrible. Welcome to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of low-budget cinema. The sleep of reason gives birth to monsters. Hi, my name's Chris, and along with Jeff, we're bringing you the very best and worst of horror, sci-fi, post-apocalyptic wasteland, kung fu, and women in prison movies from the 1960s to today. Check us out at reallyawfulmovies.com, part of the Crypt TV family. From our downtown Toronto headquarters. Here's episode 198. Rabbit, David Cronenberg. David Cronenberg's 1977 Rabbit. This being his second feature following Shivers, aka It Came From Within. Uh, this would, of course, be embryonic Cronenberg, but at the same time, mm-hmm. a lot of the uh, the themes come from within. <laughs> yeah, a body horror. Yeah, a lot of the themes that he would explore throughout the rest of his career, the rest of his oeuvre, at least as far as he was making horror films really started with Shivers and Rabid and The Brood and so on. Now, here in this country, in Canada, this film received, well, I, I guess it received notoriety throughout the world because of the fact that on the advice of producer Ivan Reitman, the lead act of the cast was adult film actress Marilyn Chambers, best known for Behind the Green Door. Have you seen Behind the Green Door? I have not. No? I've seen parts of Deep Throat. <laughs> Maybe all the best parts, but no, not not that. Well, no, because it's <laughs> funny. Yeah, you mentioned Deep Throat because there was a, a very small period in the in the seventies uh, where it became like porno chic. Adult movies became mainstream, and you could go to cinemas, and you would be seeing on the big screen these movies that were making a shitload of money, like your. Deep Throat starring Linda Lovelace, or you're behind the green door starring Marilyn Chambers. And Chambers, her porn career was interesting in the sense that before she became an adult actress, she was cast in a series of commercials for Ivory. She was the Ivory Snow Girl. And of course, Ivory representing purity and. Pure as the driven snow. Yes. <laughs> and. She went from being the Ivory Snow Girl to being an adult actress. She didn't make that many adult movies. I think only about four or five. No, she ran into drug problems and, uh, you know, met her untimely demise, I think, in her 50s. So, really? Yeah, they yeah, know that. Uh, but, yeah, and as I said before, uh, Reitman um, sort of vetoed Cronenberg's uh, original casting uh, choice, which was Sissy Spacek. Um, 
because he, he thought that the film A needed a bit more sex appeal, and B, I'm sure, you know. I was going to say unkindly more than Sissy Spacek, but no, I, I understand. No. I was making a joke, yeah, because she's a, you know, not the most beautiful woman on the planet, a great actress from Carrie and whatever, but okay, well, fair enough. Well, in the eyes of the whole. I, I mean, yeah, I, she, I, don't, I don't consider it. She, she acquitted herself wonderfully here yeah. anyway, so. Yeah. Who, Chambers? In the Chambers, she did, well, yeah. yeah. And Space was incredible in Carrie, so. Yeah. But I think um, for this sort of movie, a movie that's dealing with a lot of sexual themes, it was a stroke of genius to cast <laughs> Marilyn Chambers. No, pun intended. No, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm just killing you. <laughs> yes, <indeed>. Stroking um, <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, and of course, when you have an actress as notorious as Marilyn Chambers, it's going to sell tickets. Now, the notoriety continued because this was the tax shelter era of Canadian cinema, where the Canadian government was partially funding movies that were shot in Canada as long as they met certain limitations. Because Rabid was such a transgressive movie, and let's face it, horror was not exactly uh, considered to be, you know, then nor now, high art. There was a scathing article in one of our publications. Uh, it was Saturday Night Magazine. Saturday yeah. Magazine. And the, the headline was, very famous, your tax dollars are paying for this. Yeah. <laughs> and what they were saying is that this film is smut, is, has no artistic value whatsoever, so why should our tax laws, why should the Canadian government be supporting it? Is there any uh, redeeming value whatsoever? Well, you and I obviously are going to argue yes, and let's look at Rabbit a little more deeper and see why this film is deserving. So superficially, this is an outbreak zombie movie, but m much more than that because you have the unmistakable presence of Marilyn Chambers and the weird sexual undertones and overtones that to this day are bizarre and transgressive. I mean, ju just even underarms, and that, that focuses prominently here. The killing implement, if you will, at least the beginning before the outbreak mm. breaks out, is this pulsating, protruding, proboscis kind of thing that comes out of Marilyn Chambers' underarm. Mm -hmm. It's very... It's impossible not to be unsettled by that. And to add to that, what it comes out of is a very vaginal-looking orifice mm -hmm. underneath her arm. But how did she get there? She's riding a motorcycle with her boyfriend, and they're involved in a sort of horrific accident. I mean, when the, when the, when the paramedics go Pretty, on, It was funny, yeah. Because yeah. she didn't really look... Uh, her face didn't look scarred or... No. Marred in any way whatsoever, but oh my god, we gotta guarantee. Okay, so let's just say where this film is taking place, I guess Montreal, really. The Belle Provence, yeah, yeah. Quebec. There's this, this place called the Keloy Clinic, and this is sort of like a plastic surgery resort where people, and in, in a way, Cronenberg uh, was sort of uh, presaging um, North America's obsession with Bali perfection and yeah. plastic surgery and people addicted to surgery and, you know, getting something done and saying, well, I'm still not happy and going back. Yeah, endless, as seen in American Mary and you know, pro predominantly in Brazil where apparently they just go crazy for this stuff more than any other country. Every other place follows suit. Some procedure that you pay for. And, uh, is this good? Who knows? Well, just look at, uh, you know, America's uh, f first family, the Kardashians. I, I'm not, <laughs> I, I don't I'm watch the Kardashians, but my wife does, so... 
every so often, you know, I'm four, I only have one TV in the house, and I'm forced <laughs> to endure it. And they've recently celebrated their 10th year anniversary on air. I cannot believe that they're on, they've been on for that long. People have been interested for that long, and they signed a contract for another 10 years. Cultural sodomites. <laughs> Fucking us for 10 years. And, yeah, yeah, indeed. And it's very interesting because when, to celebrate the 10th year anniversary, they had this marathon of the Kardashian show, Keep Up the Kardashians, from the very beginning to now. And each member of the, of the clan, to a person, from the beginning to now, looked markedly different. They all got tons and tons mm. of surgery. Um, no one more so than, of course, the patriarch of the family, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Bruce Jenner. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, replace one letter and uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, whether it's the Kardashians, whether it's Michael Jackson, whether it's the show Botched, whether it's, you know, uh, people that are just, uh, you know, you hear about these people like the bar, the human Barbie woman. Yeah, the human Ken doll who's, whose nose is so maladjusted that if that's even the word, that he can barely breathe out of it. There are no more surgeries that can be performed on it. And much yeah. like MJ. I even read about some lady in Slovenia who's uh, spending a whole bunch of surgery to make herself look like Slovenia's uh, favorite daughter, Melania yeah, Trump. Oh, I was going to say. <laughs> I just, uh, as an aside, uh, I saw Donald Trump playing golf uh, on TV, obviously, and having this just this like a Mar-a-Lago? You didn't, you didn't see <laughs> yeah, oh god well oh, just the, this that guy's just disgusting revolting behind like it's just amazing <laughs> like I was, I was repulsed i mean it's there's enough <laughs> to be repulsed by him on a number of levels but this this somehow really got to me. like no man should be built that way oh my god it reminds <laughs> really me of uh, snl on weekend update when michael k who's just brilliant on the show and, yeah. he, and he was ripping donald trump's appearance said he said dude you've got an ass like an atlanta stripper <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, that's that's the body part that's become on vogue to uh, to manipulate. I mean, it's almost like baboon territory. It's like, are we reverting back to some sort of primordial, bizarre sexuality that that's become the focal point for our our, our vision? So, but the keloid clinic. Uh, specializes in a form of skin graft, and they're not really equipped to deal with trauma and well, car crashes. So they, yeah, there's this no, is kind of ambiguous. There's no other hospital in the area. No. So in the world of Rabid, it's like this surgery resort is pretty much it. Yeah. So if you need emergency medical attention, you're going no to the chopper. Ke- you're going to the keloid <laughs> clinic, and yeah, they ended up. Um, taking um, yeah Rose Rose. They ended up taking Rose, Marilyn yeah. Chambers' character, bringing her in. Yeah, and, and treating her for, I mean, severe trauma, head injuries for a motorcycle accident mm-hmm. slash fire. This is a research facility. They're known for the skin grafts. They're not equipped to it, to handle this stuff. So they do the best they can. They get all kitted up. They treat her at their makeshift ER. But beyond that, there's, uh, there's sinister machinations afoot because... Dr. Keloid, of whom the clinic is uh, named, named after, yeah, yeah. he's using her as a subject. He wants to experiment on her. And again, it wasn't quite the... Yeah, he's got some some, some black market uh, investors that are involved in some weird nefarious goings-on. Well, I mean, they, wanted, they wanted to franchise the Keloid Clinic. At one point, they said we want to make it to the Colonel Sanders of plastic surgery. Yeah, and this stuff hasn't been rigorously tested by the FDA or Health Canada. So yeah, this is obviously a very shady business. And I don't, I don't think it's an accident that the word graft has a double entendre, meaning someone who's scamming something. Like you're on the graft, someone who's... I mean, I think that was intentional. Maybe not. I mean, I like to think everything Cronenberg does is highly 
intentional. I mean, hell, there's a brief snippet of a Carrie poster in one of the scenes, so a little nod to Sissy Spacek maybe, but this guy is like everything to a finer, like the mise-en-scene, everything to a point. So I'd like to think this was in his mind, but yeah, uh, like any good sci-fi horror, this practice, this procedure has not been rigorously tested, and there are terrible side effects. Well, you mentioned that it sort of becomes an outbreak movie, and as I was, I mean, you know, this is not my first viewing. I've seen this before, uh, but as I revisited for the podcast, and I'm watching it, especially near the end of the movie, I'm thinking to myself, man, Chris must be loving this, because it's, it's everything he loves, the hazmat suits, the, uh, yeah, exactly. the NBC suits, the, the, the viral outbreak. Oh. Um, and yeah, it's stuff that really gets to me as a hypochondriac. I, I, I can't, and that's why I gravitate to it, the horror within versus without, or inside, interior, exterior. It's almost like an allegory for film shots, interior, exterior. The stuff that comes from the body really fucks me up, because I could always feel like I can run away from someone with a knife, but there's nowhere to run to, nowhere to hide. Like the, well, no, if your body song. turns on you, yeah, there's, not, there's, there's nothing scarier than your body turning on you, yeah. whether it's the disease, most, yeah. be it cancer, be it HIV, be it what have you. Right now I have a bit of a cold, and I, I feel betrayed by my own body because mm-hmm. I don't feel good. And illness is scary. You know, as human beings, we want to, we want to hold utmost control, but... And we try, you know, we try to eat healthy, we try and take vitamins, we try and exercise. But if your body says, hey, you know what, this cell is going to mutate and become cancerous and start infecting other cells, there is nothing. nothing. It's just, you know, <laughs> our bodies are, our bodies, it's amazing. Like, it's, it's, our bodies are ticking time bombs. And it's actually quite amazing our, that our immune systems work as well as they do because every single day we're bombarded uh. with so many germs, so many... Uh, pathogens, so many things that should make us completely ill all the time, and yet somehow we have this wonderful <laughs> immune system that manages to fight it off. But every so often, something will slip through. So I got a cold now, something slipped through, I feel betrayed by my body. It's terrifying. Yeah, so the, the most terrifying, the most immediate, uh, forget about the guy chasing you, your immediate tax on your uh, mortality is coming from within. So uh, she's barely hanging on. She's well, in. A, she's in a coma. Mm-hmm. This graft seems to take, mm-hmm. as far as we know. She's recuperating. She's convalescing. Yet she's still in a coma. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, her, I guess, uh, boyfriend's friend comes to visit her. This guy's by the name of Lloyd. He's going to see how she is. Comes into her room, and she emerges from the coma to attack him with this. This. This protruderance. Protrude, yeah, whatever the word is. But I was going to say, it's interesting because it does sort of become a bit of a zombie outbreak contagion movie, but before that, it's more of a vampire movie because when she does awaken from her coma, she needs to feed. Mm -hmm. And at this point, what she's craving is blood. And in a very sort of... So you have this vaginal opening underneath her armpit, which is just bizarre. Yeah. And... What's happening is she's seducing men, and the proboscis shoots out, sticks them, and she sucks their blood like a vampire. She feeds, she needs to sustain herself through the plasma, and then these people end up becoming... 
I mean, it's like a, it's an STD analogy mm-hmm. in the sense that this, it's a very sexual penetration, and then they end up becoming sick, and they end up infecting other people, and on and on and on it goes. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, the vector of transmission is saliva, which, yes, so the STD analogy really holds. And when, when she transmits it to poor Lloyd, Lloyd has no recollection of the event, and he gets treated himself, uh, and there's a grotesque wound that's under his armpit that he breaks out and that will not clot. So he's got this gross wound, and so there's this constant like uh, side body, armpit thing. And that's really gross. How they're looking at it, they're trying to treat him. He leaves the hospital, she leaves the hospital, and your two vectors are there transmitting this virus to rural Quebec. As she leaves via hitchhiking, he goes by cab, he wigs out in the back of the cab, bites the cab driver, she attacks the kindly trucker, and here we have a contagion movie. And when, as this progresses, this is pretty much your standard thing where you have the expert called in, who's Dr. Lapointe, I believe, who talks about the incubation period and likens it to the film's title. It's rabies, essentially. That's, they've seen nothing like it, and he actually mentions swine flu, which I thought was wild, because in the 70s, swine flu was a nothing. It was just this fringe, like, weird little thing, and then a few years back it became a big thing. So that was really prescient and really cool. So LaPointe is trying to put out the word. He's on the evening news in hilarious fashion. They're asking him what can be done. Nothing. Just don't let them bite you, he says in his Quebecois accent. What can you do? So the populace is afflicted by this. And these beings get affected and they become rabid. And they bite and transmit. And this stuff is sent all over Quebec again. Through There's a fantastic scene in a diner where one of the afflicted patrons needs to feed. It says, I must feed! And grabs the sandwich from the guy sitting next to him at the counter. And then attacks him, attacks the, the uh, server. And there's just, yeah, lots of fantastic carnage. But... Ultimately, what this does become is, again, how do we contain this outbreak? How do we restore Montreal to a sense of normalcy? How do we prevent this from spreading throughout the rest of the of the country? And martial law is ultimately declared yes. in Quebec. And but this, now we get to talk uh, arcane Canadian politics? The FLQ? The yeah. FLQ. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, five years... Prior to this film being filmed, there was an infamous incident where martial law was declared in Canada mm-hmm. by the father of our current Prime Minister, who was Pierre Trudeau mm-hmm. at the time. And there was a cabinet minister, let's just say a high-ranking political official, who was kidnapped and murdered in the back of a car by this weird Marxist group. Well, they were a French terrorist group that... Uh, yeah, they were almost it? European in style. Did they want, uh, you know, uh, were they militant, French, etc.? Yeah, they're kind they're... of an anarchist, kind of yeah. communist, kind of weird, almost Italian-type group, and I, I didn't uh, even know we had this kind of thing in Canada, mm-hmm. but at the time, uh, he imposed the War Measures Act, and his famous quote in front of our Parliament building, uh, are you going to, like, call in the military, are you going to impose martial law? And he says... Uh, what are you going to do? And he just says, like, just watch me. Like, I'll do whatever it takes. And a lot of people took umbrage with this because it was a major 
civil liberties overreach at the time. Mm -hmm. I think now it might have been a little more accepted because of terrorism, but at the time, just one person killed? I mean, it seems, yeah, I don't want to dismiss it, but again, this was an undercurrent of this film because martial law was imposed, and this is probably the audience in Quebec would have still, this would have still resonated with them as with the rest of Canada. Mm -hmm. So that was a really weird thing to see that I didn't pick up on as I first saw this. So that was really cool. So there's a lot going on in this movie. Uh, some of it being very prescient, some of it being very uh, evocative, like with the uh, martial law being declared in Montreal. But yeah, you got the plastic surgery addicts, because at this resort you got people coming back going, oh, what are you getting done this time? What are you getting done this mm -hmm. you, <laughs> have, you have, um, you know, the, the hubris of the doctors who, oh, we're going to try this, and we're going to use the, this person as our subject, and we're going to... We're gonna we're gonna perform some clandestine experiment, and it's for the betterment of mankind. And of course, that goes awry. <laughs> uh, you have the STD analogy. You have openings and orifices and bodies. You have purposes <laughs> sucking yeah, blood. Oh my, yeah. <laughs> you have people becoming rabid and and um, spewing green yeah, from the mouth. mouth. Yeah. Just and, and then it's at the very end of it all. I mean, it, in, in many ways, it's sort of kind of remind me a bit of George Romero's The Crazies, but just how they dealt with those... I mean, they were, they were snipers, they were firing squads, just shooting people at random yeah. who were rabid. And there's so so many images... Actually, I'm going to say this for What Did We Learn? But there are so many images in this movie that have stuck with me, two in particular. Uh -huh. Okay, do tell. We'll see if we match. Okay, so what did I learn? Um, first of all, Cronenberg's a master... Uh, I, I adore this man. Um, you know, when it comes to horror, uh, he's pretty much almost batting a thousand. I mean, can you say one horror film he's made that isn't worthy of praise? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we've, every time we talk about Cronenberg, we always bemoan the fact that he's sort of... Um, lost the plot. Not lost the plot, but he's, he's moved away from the genre. He's, uh, yeah, well, his latest were efforts have not been... In keeping with the standard we've come to expect, Cosmopolis, mm -hmm. I'm looking right at you, right? Yeah, not the just, stars, what yeah. have you. Uh, but when it comes to pure horror, Cronenberg was untouchable. And the two images that just stuck with... See, the thing about horror is that sometimes an image will be presented to you that is so jarring, so horrific, so shocking to the system that it actually becomes beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, it becomes sublime. And... I mean, this is a very famous image because it's on a lot of the posters, promotional material, but the woman in the freezer. Yes. That was incredible. One of the victims of Rose was placed within a freezer, and when they open up the door, and she's there, covered in ice, and just completely frozen. You know, this is not fucking Disney, let it go. <laughs> this is something else. This is very, very disturbing, interesting, beautiful. Mm -hmm. There's that image. The other image that stuck with me is... Near the end of the movie, when everything is sort of going back to normal, but they're still trying to dispose of those that are afflicted, and what they, how they do it, I mean, talk about not having any respect for the dead. They're picking them up off the street, throwing them in the back of garbage trucks, mm -hmm. and compressing them, as if they're just, you know... Yeah. Um, yesterday's yeah. newspaper, what have you. Mm -hmm. And these are human beings. So, again, 
I don't know what Kronberg was trying to say about the, that, but it was extremely shocking and extremely uh, just mesmerizing. Wonderful. Yeah, you, well, yeah, I was going to segue into what I've learned as well with, uh, like, I'm a bit of a, you know, hypochondriac and a bit of a neat freak, and seeing uh, images of s something that's supposed to be sanitary and sanitized, uh, the ER... Yeah, when Dr. Keloid eventually gets bitten and goes haywire and he's got these scissors and he snips like one of his attending nurses finger off. I was, I was just squirming. Now at I that one. Was, was he running with those scissors? Uh, that would have been really bad. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, go on. Sorry. And then the other one was... It's uh, my turn to make <laughs> Oh, that's an Augustine Burroughs book, wasn't it? Running with scissors. Uh, and the other one was when the snipers are again out in the streets of Montreal, they shoot one of the afflicted off a windshield. And... Uh, one of the government officials just comes by with like a spray and sprays down the windshield as if you're at a car wash. Yeah. And I was just like, I that found that just so too. unsettling. Like, I found that just awful. It was and, so clinical. Yeah, there was clinical, no... that's the word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, and... Uh, it was just procedural. There was no... And, and that's, that's that uh, David Cronenberg's been attacked with. Mm -hmm. uh, yo, his movies are too cold and too clinical. Well, The Frozen Woman and the clinical nature of the fact that the film was set in a fucking clinic. But I was also going to say, like, as, a, as an analog to the interior horror, I love the interior shots of the hospital uh, interiors. Because, like, I felt this like, grim sense of claustrophobia in these narrow hallways. Like, uh, there's something about his movies that just make you feel, like, tight and odd. There's mm. something off-putting about them. Even if you didn't have, like someone's fingers being snipped off or someone a proboscis shoved into somebody's eye like there's something tight like i don't he his, the camera zooms in too close mm -hmm. there's something about it that i i, I find unsettling and even your even the exterior shots uh they're so bleak, bleak <laughs> overcast oh, yes, this yeah. must have been shot in late fall early winter that's apparently when these films got funded so that's when they would go into production mm -hmm. i just learned this about uh, the tax shelter movies. That's why they were frequently in October or in April. Like, Quebec is not a pleasant place to be in these times. So they have these just austere images in the middle of nowhere. Ray I mean, skies. It, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. There, it, there, there wasn't one ray of sunshine, <laughs> literally and metaphorically. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's true. Within this entire movie. So, sorry. Oh, well, th this gets better with age. At the time, I didn't really get it. But then now that I find, like, uh, as, as plastic surgery has become so in vogue, I, I might be mistaken, but the Soska sisters might have been tapped to redo this. And it's going to suck. I don't know where that production stands, but they have mm -hmm. a good track record in dealing with the subject matter, but I think that's been done See, with American Mary. I don't think they could go beyond that. That's that pretty awesome, that movie. I, I feel personally that the, the Soska sisters are so overrated. Mm. American Mary was sublime, quite I thought, yeah. But everything they've done since has been absolute shit. Yeah. And, you know, when you, when you say track record, to me, a track record means only more in, than in, one. <laughs> and, I, you know, another, another person I think of when I think of the Soska sisters is David's son, Brandon. He made a very unique Cronenbergian film, well, he is Cronenberg, called <laughs> yeah. uh, Antiviral. He comes by his name, honestly. Yeah, exactly. A great movie. Which came yeah. out a number of years ago, mm -hmm. maybe five years ago, yep. and he has yet to release a follow-up. Uh, we haven't heard a peep from him since. And the Soska sisters, yeah, maybe they're attached to a uh, remake of this movie, but I just can't, I don't know, I, I, 
I've yet to see them follow up on the promise that they showed in American Mary. So, all these people, they, they seem to have a very unique fan base, almost like a cult around them. I guess because they're twins and they're yeah, sisters yeah. and they're female, and wild, which is great. But, hmm. you know what, until they make another feature that's not a crappy sequel to a slasher starring, you know, a, a movie with a wrestler, <laughs> Pain, you know, See No Evil 2 or whatever the hell, that was yeah. awful. Huh. The first one was better. Huh. And just to kind of go full circle, the first one was actually directed by somebody who was most known for directing adult films before he directed the first See No Evil with Kane from the WWE. Um, and then and they made some other movies for WWE Studios. One was a straight-ahead action movie starring The Big Show. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm not, I don't have any hope whatsoever for this, this remake of Rabbit. Um, I don't think any of Cronenberg's films need to be remade, frankly. No, no, I agree. Uh, and this, I wouldn't... Hmm, it's a tough one how, uh, how you would rank the different films. I mean, they're almost like, you know, picking from amongst your children. But maybe I would, just for the audacity of Scanners, I'd put that uh, maybe ahead of this. But, uh, I mean, Shivers just shivered me timbers, <laughs> to put it that way. But uh, And Videodrome, I have a real soft spot for. Oh, I was going to say, for me... Because I worked in media for a long yeah. time, and it just that really affects me as when, well. But When it comes to Cronenberg, Videodrome is my absolute favorite. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it's, you know, the fact, you know, you watch a movie, you love a movie, then the actor ends up going off the rails. I or, or, the, or the technology just becomes, well, like, the, it just disappears, and you, it's still with us, but... Uh, but when when you specifically tie yourself to VHS, then it's like okay. But it, there's a lot of McLuhan-esque stuff that can apply to multimedia. It's so still, it still seems timeless to me. I mean, mm. I don't care if it's a VHS, I don't care if it's a DVD, I don't care if it's a Blu-ray, I don't care if it's a digital download. It's it's audacious, um, incredible, impressive filmmaking. Yeah, just the, the, the Dead Zone even impressed me just tremendously upon revisiting. So mm. I don't even know where to put these in what order. Mm. What? How can you? But yeah, I think uh, Videodrome is by far my favorite. I even like, I mean, things like Naked Lunch, you know, mm -hmm. Dead Ringers, even Madame Butterfly. I mean, these are, maybe that's not so much horror, but they're, they're just amazing films. Cronenberg is incredible. But we've, we've lauded Cronenberg so many times on this podcast, and we're so proud that our country produced such an incredible horror filmmaker, but beyond that, just looking at Rabbit, what star rating do you give it? Uh, I'm going to say four, and I, I th really think the low-budget, uh, austere, uh, sort of bleak look of the picture really serves it well in, in retrospect, so yeah, four for me, I just love it, fantastic, yourself. Yeah, I'm going to stick go with four, I mean, I could... Maybe say a quibble with this or that, or and maybe some of the pacing was a little bit slow here and there, and say it's three and, and three quarters, but you know what? Forget it. As a whole, it's pretty fucking brilliant. I'm going to give it four stars. And be sure to check out our four-star website, www.reallyawfulmovies.com, and episodes of the show uploaded every two weeks for your listening enjoyment. And we will talk to you soon. listening edification. Yes. Take, Take care. care. Thank you.